Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Cunley. Hi, I'm Shayna Hartman. I am an embodied writing coach, formerly English professor turned embodied writing coach. And I love to support heart-centered business owners, leaders in getting their amazing messages, core messages that they share often with their clients and people they work with out into the world in a book. What does embodied writing mean? Well, I kind of like to explain it as if you literally think about your body, your hands are kind of a nice connector between your head and your heart. And so when we write, whether it's fingers on the keys or pen in hand and on the paper, or even out loud, I consider any communication practice as a form of writing. You are really coming into your body. You are embodying your words and letting them come out. So I really see it as writing as a practice of embodiment and and getting connected from that place is where usually the most powerful writing comes from. Because it tends to be more raw, out of head and just tender, I guess. That's at least that's how I feel when I try to embody what you're even saying about it. It takes some undoing because often the way we have been taught, if we were directly, a lot of us were not directly taught. We were indirectly taught what writing is and is not, Uh what is good and good, not good writing. It is often from a very heady, linear, you do step one, two, three, you know, and it's just not, it's much messier than that. And that's the beauty of it. But it takes a lot of unlearning to embrace, like you said, that tenderness. Yeah. So does that align with what you did as you kind of, I'm sure you showed up as an English professor with some of that, but does it align with what most English professors are showing up and doing? <laughs> I hope so. I think <laughs> most people who go to teach English, especially, there is some of that ooey gooey heartness because okay. usually they, you know, love literature or for me, it was a love of writing. And if you love those things, then you love humanness and you love uh-huh. stories and those things are messy, but we often teach in the ways we were taught. And so there's this yes. like kind of passing down, unfortunately, and it's uncomfortable to be up in front and leading someone in a teacher capacity and let it be messy. <laughs> vulnerable. Yeah. Well, it's vulnerable and we get nervous, like something's going to go wrong or, you know, I'm supposed to know everything and maybe I don't. And, but that's like, what was so fun to sit in that with students as well as myself and be like, we're going to figure this out, but we're going to do it together. Uh, It's mm -hmm. not me coming in with all the answers. And that's hard. I, Students uh-huh. would struggle. <laughs> sure. Well, and then tell me the are, answer. Tell yes. me what you want. Just tell me what to write. Yeah, they expect you to have that. It's it's very black and white, but embodiment really isn't. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's moment to moment, and because we're we're shifting, there's a lot going on mm. in in this beautiful body. Yeah. So you feel, I mean, this is your calling, and how does that again fit kind of in your own mental health story? Mm. To- Maybe how you've used words throughout your life or even or literature or whatever that might look like. I don't think I've always called myself a writer, but I have always written. I have very early memories of having some kind of bound 
<laughs> book with paper in it, and blank okay. lines, blank pages, and writing in some way. So I'm a child of divorce and parents remarried and just all of the, and, and I had a very pretty positive experience with all of that, given what can go in those situations. And writing was just always this place that all of these thoughts that I was having, all of these reflections and internal things that were going on, dialogues, monologues, I guess, Uh had a place to put them. And so that's what writing was a lot of times for me when I wasn't sure how to express it in some other way. Writing was the place I could do that. And it still is. I I still, almost on a daily basis, that's kind of how I start in the morning is sort of with some, what is showing up? What am I noticing? And I do that best through writing. Yeah. So I love that as a kid, you even found that space that this was going to be a way for you to acknowledge some of what was going on and process it. Yeah. In a safe have a, space have a place. That. Yeah. Because if I didn't always feel like I could say it out loud or didn't have the support around me, I learned early on and I was, yep, I go to therapy mm-hmm. and have been for since I was a child. And mm-hmm. that was always encouraged because it, it was a way to really flex that muscle of giving my own self my own safe space, whether I had it outside of me or not. Yeah. So I I get, I mean, I get mixed reactions when I encourage clients to invite clients to see how journaling would look for them. You either get, okay, yeah, I used to do that. Let me try that, you know, or, okay, I'm open to it. Or you get real intimidation. That's what I usually feel is kind of underneath the resistance. Some of that I think is, and I I might've said this on previous podcasts that we have this idea of, you know, eighties and nineties movies where the girl is in her window seat with her diary and it's dear diary. And it's, it just doesn't have to be like that intense in that way. But I think that's kind of what people think it looks like. What are some other ways that journaling and embodied writing can look like as a support to mental wellness? Well, it's funny you say that because I actually, I call it the J word. I don't use the J word, the journal okay. word, because we have so many okay, connotations yes. around it. And so I actually, my first, one of my first publishing experiences was a group of literacy English teachers. And we wrote a book called Thinking Out Loud on Paper. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. about a day book. And a day book is, is simply a meat composition. I called it like the cow colored, you know, speckled mead composition notebook bound, like what you would expect a kindergartner to use. And we wrote a book about using that in the classroom and the power of that. But the way we would kind of set it up is like, you know, your, your space in your home, oftentimes it's called, it might be your kitchen junk drawer. Uh You know, it's that place where it has a plethora of things, right? And oftentimes it is like, oh, yes. I don't even know. I don't even know what's in there. But I bet if I said, hey, Juliet, let me come over and like clean this up, you'd be like, whoa, 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 nope. whoa, whoa. Because that paper clip that you amazingly found at the perfect moment, that <sighs> menu to the favorite restaurant, that business, uh-huh. that that whatever, like it's this collection of what seemingly when you look at it's just, just gobbledygook mess, but at the right moment in the time, like you put it in there with intention and then you get to take out of it Mm. with intention. Like it serves you to put things in there because you know, at some point it's, it's going to serve you whether you go back and read what you wrote, but we kind of, I like to think of it as a kitchen junk drawer. And so let's just put stuff in there. And we don't know why, and you don't need to know why. And you don't know if you're ever going to look at it or read it again. And you don't need to have an intention, you know, an afterwards intention for it. Mm -hmm. But let's just see what happens, right? When we use these pages or 
that. Mm -hmm. Um, Another guy, a, a writing teacher, Ralph Fletcher, calls it breathing in in order to later breathe out. And it's like, I don't know anyone who hasn't taken, when they've taken a moment to just write to write, whatever's showing up, you know, as a mental health practice or, you know, whatever their ways of coming into it and not literally afterwards, mm-hmm. like had a, an exhale. Yeah, a breath. Because now these things that are swirling, they've been given a home. Again, yes. nothing may happen with them. You may never share them. You may never look at them, but there's something that happens. And I'm sure there's more brain sure, science, science. Of yeah. around it. And I've done a little bit of, of looking uh-huh. into that, but there is this, our emotions go to parts of our brains that don't have language. And so when we try to bring that together and try to give things language, give it a name, you know, give it words, yeah. there's real power in that. In that release. And, and I also yeah. think it's worth, you know, mentioning that, yes, you, you you do not ever have to go back and look at it. And sometimes there is that value, right? Where looking back, one can really recognize different patterns, thought patterns that might be showing up yeah. or ahas that you didn't even know were in there. Yeah. Or, wow, I'm not there anymore. Correct. So some people like unstructured, some people like structured. So Mm -hmm. we're kind of describing this more like stream of consciousness release, but there's also, there's a lot of beautiful prompting out there too, that people can Mm -hmm. lean into. Yeah. So one thing that I often do for myself personally, and I've used this with clients too, is just simply like, what is showing up today? For me, this is first thing in the morning. So like, what is showing up? And then because my background is as a body-mind method coach, and so I always try to connect things to the body. And so then writing about where are you noticing that thing in the Mm -hmm. body, right? Like we've talked about like things that show up in your chest or when you have that feeling in your tummy or sometimes it's an arm tingle or wherever it is, like Mm -hmm. it's different for everybody, whatever is showing up. And then I love personifying it. So we learn this too, like if we gave this part a voice, right? Like what might it want to say? What is it? What might it want to share? Right. And so it's just getting to know you, getting to know the moment, getting to know what's showing up. And then I like to shift it. Like if I want to shift or if I I can stay with that and just write about that, or if I want to shift out of that, you know, I like to then ask, how do I want to feel and write about that? And then I kind of give myself permission to choose some kind of action step. Like what would allow me to kind of enact that feeling Mm -hmm. today? And so, you know, if I want to feel free, okay, maybe I can't go and escape the day, but maybe there's like this beautiful picture of the beach that I always Uh come back to or a candle that brings on that feeling and I can go in. I like the permission and for fluidity and flexibility, asking what you need. And the thought of being able to start a day like this versus mm-hmm. getting my phone and scrolling. I think there's just such intentionality around that. And also, you know, because people will sometimes balk at when am I going to sit down and write? It's because right. again, it seems so intimidating. So the permission to find what works for you, you Absolutely. know, carrying the little notebook yeah. in your purse, or, you know, maybe it is before bed to get things out of your head. Uh, what are other mm-hmm. thoughts on that and how that connects? with mental health. Yeah. I think part of what's intimidating is like, we feel like there's a way to do it, mm-hmm. right? Like a right way to do it. And what if there is like, can we get permission one? Yes. There is no one right way. It's about finding your way. So maybe mm-hmm. you try out, you know, different moments of your day or different, you know, times that they may work for you. Yeah. First thing is, is best for me, but it may be lunchtime writing it in for in those kind of moments, pen and paper is best for me, but maybe it's, you know, you're opening your notes app on your phone and you're like Mm -hmm. doing the talk to text, right. Mm -hmm. Or using, you know, Voxer to Vox yourself. Like you can do those kinds of things too. The how is not so important as just whatever is going to support you, I think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the process to help you find those 
or at least for me, like find those things that bring me back to myself. AS is all around. What are mm-hmm. those things that bring me back to myself? That's really what I've learned on my mental health journey is like, I can be in the tornado, but what are the things? Like if I have this, I kind of liken it to like that internal magnet the and grounding the things yeah. that continue to strengthen and ground that mm-hmm. so that as the chaos is happening, I can pull it back. Yeah, <laughs> Like that magnet is strong. And it's always available to you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good mm-hmm. reminder, even though I sometimes forget, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are there other, you know, specific writers or books that have resonated with you at different points in your mental health journey? Mm. I'm reading Brene Brown's book, a new book right now. And that's mm-hmm. an interesting one. I love how it's so different. It's really challenging me to like, what am I taking? Like, what is this book for me? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love how she's really formatted it in a very different way than some of her other books. I love Untamed definitely mm-hmm. was was a big shift for me. I, there's a book that I have not read. My body is not an apology. I oh. really, really, really want to get into, yes. into that. So She's any of amazing. those where people, yeah, are really sharing their stories. And really what I think we keep saying this word permission, but mm-hmm. like just waving their big permission flag. That's it. So why is it hard, do you think, for us to find that permission to to let certain parts of our stories out? Mm. What are those things we're struggling with and why is it hard to release? <laughs> yeah. And I just remembered Sonia Renee Taylor. That's yes. the author. Oh, yes. <laughs> She's author. I forgot her, yeah. her name. Oh, why is it so hard? I mean, because we've been conditioned to, you know, from early on to not trust ourselves. Mm. Like we're kind of born these ready to absorb, but kind of, you know, our own little messaged entity. And we are just from the start, given all of these do's and don'ts and mm-hmm. how to's and all with the best intentions, but it teaches us that we mm-hmm. need to prove things and we need to, you know, know the, how is all going to work out the before outcome, we right. take this step. And, and that's also linear cranial brain and we have this whole 90% rest of us that also is super intelligent and Mm. sending lots of signals and communication. And we often don't listen to that part of ourselves. You know, what would your heart do right now? What would your soul do right now? Your gut? Mm -hmm. I mean, we literally have a gut brain. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just, I think it's just so hard because it's that paradox of we teach kids, teach kids, do's and don'ts and how's to be. And then we're like, okay, but you need to go be independent. Uh-huh. It's like, wait, what? Uh-huh. All these rules. What do I do with <laughs> yeah. them? Uh-huh. And go find yourself and go mm. be yourself, you know? And so I think the permission wand just like yeah. disappears and then you, you got to find it and then much less learn to use it. <laughs> right. Yeah. In a society that doesn't really celebrate that in a lot of ways. <laughs> right. Do you find that there are recurring limiting beliefs for the authors you work with, or even in your own head that people have about either unwillingness or self-doubt to show up in this way? Yeah, I think it's the number of thing is like, who am I, you know, who am I to share something, you know, publicly like this? No one, why would anybody care or read my story? And it's, I'm different. I'm not the norm. I'm not going to be the bestseller, you know, New York Times. But when you start to like look at all the behind the scenes of those things and know how contrived they are, we've got to get more voices out there, more diversity, more your story, your unique story Uh in the ways that you need to tell it because we need them. We need more shifts in who is telling the stories around these social quote norms and just really debunking them. 
you know, like the Sonia Renee Taylors out there. Like we need people to write their story so that others can receive their permission. And it just is Mm -hmm. a snowball effect. So we can change whose covers we're looking to as as the ones we're supposed to follow. And so, you know, kind of a short answer to the who am I is you're you and we need you. Yeah. It's that simple, really. Absolutely. I was just Mm -hmm. talking with someone I'm collaborating with earlier, and and she just talked about how, like, if you've had experiences Mm -hmm. in life, which everyone has, and I don't mean necessarily like some people are like, oh, I've lived a good life. I haven't had a lot of struggle, but you still have experienced things. Uh Then you've got some knowledge, some area of or some expertise in something that could potentially be life changing to someone else who... Mm has gone through something similar or, you know, is just looking for some support mm-hmm. and who are you to not, you know, mm. share that in, in some way we want it to feel aligned, of course. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's that, you know, Marion Williamson's quote of like being afraid of our greatness versus yeah. like real fear around putting ourselves out there, like not really scared to do it. You're scared of like, what if you do do yeah. it? And it's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around. Right. (laughs) That can be very, very scary. And as a people, we are really tied to, to outcomes. You know, we focus so much on outcomes and how to measure things versus the journey and the process itself and also external validation. So I have to imagine that so many people go to that, right? It's going to, it's going to be judged. People aren't going to like it or value it. Mm -hmm. All of those things. And it's, it's a constant work to let go, (laughs) to let go of that. And I think that's what the embodiment piece of it, why that feels so powerful Mm -hmm. because you can come back home and kind of tune some of that out. Right. Like all I'm doing is just Uh putting my words out there one word at a time, one line Mm -hmm. at a time and just trusting like that there's power in that. And there absolutely is. There absolutely is. I mean, just think of the books, right? That I I don't know. I love that question you asked. I'm curious what your, some of yours are Mm -hmm. of of those influential books, but like, Mm -hmm. what if they hadn't written it? Right. And guess what? They also will never know most likely how I feel about it. Right. But yet, thank goodness they did. And it's having uh-huh. an impact, you know? I mean, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it speaks, you know, different seasons of life, different emotional seasons we might be in to how, how different words will resonate with us. Absolutely. Because I could read something in different times and read it, you know, later and it impacts me differently. Of course. Or has uh-huh. a new a new meaning. And that, uh-huh. that's what's beautiful too about, about writing. And I think mental health too, and you're so good at this, is like, it's not an alone thing. It's not a by ourselves uh-huh. thing because new meaning gets made as we bring your yeah. background and my background together. Mm-hmm. And then these words are here and like mm-hmm. something new gets to be made, some new understanding, some new like collaboratively. Or, yes. Yeah. Yes. I, because I guess writing in and of itself can feel very isolating or lonely. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. And a lot of the, you know, the authors that you're supposed to have learned or uh-huh. read or, or whatever, right. We have uh, often their pale male stale and yep. we see them like they're off toiling and struggling in this little office by themselves and the typewriter and Mm -hmm. Hemingway literally had a whole nother like house beside his house Uh (laughs) Uh with a six-toed cat with the six-toed cats Uh everywhere yeah and so and there's something like you know a little bit you know inviting about that I'm gonna go off and write sure you know and it's not realistic it's not life Mm. and they still, we probably didn't get that story, but they still, you know, we forget when he went down to the bars and was probably talking about what he was writing. There you go. All of that yes, kind of stuff, that collaborative yes. piece. Yeah, there was like, there's something light bulb 
going on about this for me. That's just, and I think that's what, what drew me to your work too. It's mm. just, maybe it was the first time I really had heard or considered the collaborative side of it, which is just really interesting. And I'm thinking so much, you know, banned books are such a big part of the conversation right now mm. and trying to think from the author's perspective of some of these books, like those are their words. Those are their stories. And, and often the stories that we we need to be talking about and someone's yeah. life work or whatever, right? I mean, it's just, I just think that's just an interesting side to all of this that's going on it currently. Is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, books can be so viewed as, as dangerous and it's interesting, you know, people who no longer are even with us and we're scared of them. Is your, your dog is named scout is that you yeah yes okay yeah so you've got the scout my daughter's harper uh you know so i know so my answer is all i mean to kill a mockingbird just holds a a deep special place in my bones Mm -hmm. been banned right exactly but i can't imagine what my world view would be without having had that book Mm -hmm. when i did absolutely yeah books stories they give us a window into places and people that we can't just simply can't access it's almost i don't know this probably i don't know if this lands but it's almost like the first social media in some ways right like social media is supposed to kind of give us this light into someone else's uh-huh. life and uh-huh. all the problematicness of yes. that of course <laughs> but you know like we're getting a glimpse into this other you know i can read these old books that were set in different time periods and i get a sense of what it was like and someone else's story that isn't my own allows us to be empathetic and compassionate and all of that. So again, from a mental health perspective, I'm thinking about sometimes I need books for escapism, right? Mm -hmm. I've had a really heavy day, right? I need to compartmentalize. um, And that's what it's used for (laughs) sometimes. That's my young adult literature. (laughs) Because you have to know right where to go because otherwise it can sneak up on you. And then as an empath, it's, you know, because it is very easy for me to carry and wear and there will, will be nights where I just am sobbing in bed. I'm like, well, this is not helpful. I need to be going to sleep. But now I'm so right. raptured by this story. But just, you know, so I'm just kind of giving a nod to how we can use stories too in different ways for yeah. our mental health. Absolutely. If you're not writing yours, like whose other can support you? How can the book, whose words can support you? Mm-hmm. in this moment. And one last thing, and I posted about this last week, I think after a conversation with a client, and this has come up with multiple people, and I have struggled with this myself sometimes, the permission to stop reading a book if it's just not doing it for you. Oh, I loved how you said that. Yes. This is a very, because, you know, being in school, having taught books, yes. have kids in school who have books they have to read. Yes. Like, of course, that should be the way it is. Absolutely. Like, it's hard though, because again, I think this message we've always received too, got to finish it, stick it out. Or if you hear, you know, for the client in this case, it was the book club was reading it. All these other people had wonderful things to say and she just wasn't getting it. And so then it became a narrative around right. like, there's something wrong with me that I'm not getting this. I'll just force yeah. myself to get through it. Back to permission again, right? Mm-hmm. And trusting I'm not going to miss something or mm-hmm. be left behind or mm-hmm. whatever, because I don't get this or I don't want to read this or all of that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. That's where I like to, again, to check in with the body. If this doesn't feel right, mm. this doesn't feel right for whatever reason. Again, there's, there are way too many words out there to be reading the ones that aren't, you know, filling you yeah. up somehow. 
Yeah, it's so interesting. And and I mean, I think I used to teach young adult literature and, you know, the intention behind those book choices, like what power did I yield, right? Like Mm. that I got to choose our, we Mm. we whipped through books. We went through like one a week. So we read about 12 to 15 books in the semester. I mean, they're so juicy and pretty light Uh to read, but on some very big and heavy topics. You know, if someone's reading about a life of a person, fiction, but a life of a person that doesn't match theirs and they have issues with it, finding that place of, do we put this down because it's making you uncomfortable? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not simple. It's not a straight line. And the powerful conversations and things that have gotten to happen because we were reading things that people had not experienced Mm -hmm. before. So being able to find that balance of, is there going to be value in sticking with this? why am I uncomfortable maybe? Or what's the resistance about? Kind of just being curious about that too. And I always like the medium that I found was we want you to feel safe as you're mm-hmm. going through this. And so maybe there's a parallel book or something else mm-hmm. that we can find that oh, that's cool. can touch on the topic, expose you to something, you know, that maybe mm-hmm. can be enlightening, but not, you know, tap into things that I'm not capable <laughs> or qualified yeah. to handle. And this isn't the place for this you to place, have yeah. to do that mm-hmm. as well. I love that. I wish I'm thinking of my nine-year-old. Like, I wish there was a little more of that in his world. For the most part, like, mm-hmm. he kind of does what he wants. But there are those times where and he loves to read. Like, this is, he's like, I don't like this book. And I'm like, oh, man, but you got to read it. You know, like, this class is asking you to read it. That's right. It's, yeah, that's tricky. Uh, just other thoughts on writing, embodied writing, and mental health that you'd want to leave us with? I just love all the, this conversation. And I think you're providing a really cool... Like, I just love the space to to even ask the question about what those what those connections are. And yeah, I, th- I think mm-hmm. we are communicative beings. Our words matter. And mm-hmm. however we express them, it can be a powerful tool in, mm-hmm. in anyone's journey. Not because you're a writer, but because mm-hmm. you have things to say. I like that distinction. Because people like, we like labels and permission to let that go. You have things to say. At least hey. to yourself, if no one else. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. So who are you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We are removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy. 